You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host Nilin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and selling your home to live in and sell. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 128. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show. So just a quick reminder that the early bird submission of our international home staging award is now open. So make sure you send in your fabulous home staging projects or start planning it right now. The early bird submission closes in about a month or so. I know it sounds like a long time away, but you do need time to pull your projects together and make sure they look great for the jewelry. And so you can go to homestagingawards.com to look at all the information and find out all the information about the different categories and start planning on what you want to submit. So this year we're doing seven different categories as well, but some of them have changed. So we still have the best before and after project photo, best vacant homestaging project, best occupied homestaging project, best luxury homestaging project, best vacation homestaging project, and also best homestaging website. The only different category is we took away the best business plan one, but now we're putting in a new construction one. So if you work with builders or developers, this would be a great one for you to enter. And like last year, when you register for July StagerCon, you are also going to get two free project entries. So do take advantage of that. When you register for SagerCon, you'll get an email with the coupon code inside. So definitely, you can find out more information once you register for SagerCon. And if you're part of the BIPOC community, we're gonna give you four free entries. There's actually there's not a lot of BIPOC people in home staging industry, and we want to encourage people to start speaking up and then also showcasing them as well. So definitely take advantage of that if you're in the BIPOC community. So to register for this July at StagerCon, all you need to do is just go to StagerCon.com. It's spelled S-T-A-G-E-R-C-O-N.com. And I'll link that in the show notes as well so you can take full advantage of it. And also, we're working on a new workshop series on starting your home staging business. I'd love to hear more from you if you have any ideas or questions about this. If so, feel free to DM us at StageMore on Instagram or leave a message in our Facebook group, The Home Staging Show. So today on the show, we have Jake Shorter, the co-founder of Foxy Home Staging based in Brisbane, Australia. Jake focuses on the non-selling aspect of the business, such as logistics, marketing, and finance. Prior to beginning Foxy Home Staging, Jake's career was in finance and accounting, an interest that has been invaluable for Foxy's growth over its short four years in business. Jake is a self-professed Excel nerd, and his official title in the office is the numbers guy, having built numerous Excel tools to track key metrics and improve efficiencies in the business. Jake and his wife, Phoebe, who is a chief stylist, have grown Foxy Home Staging to a seven-figure business in less than four years, now operating with a full-time staff of seven, including an in-house staff of stylists logistics, and marketing. So I thought this experience could be available for any home stagers listening, because I think for any home staging business to grow, you need the right people on your team to help you grow. It's impossible for you to do everything all by yourself. I always say this, even Wonder Woman has Justice League, right? Everyone has their different strengths and they all come together, work toward this common goal. So it's really important to have the right people in your home staging business for it to grow. So yeah, so we had a really great time chatting with Jake. Jake also interviewed me on his show a few weeks ago when you asked about my experience and how I got started as a home stager. So if you're interested in that episode, we're linking that in the show notes as well. You can have a listen on Jake's website. All right, let's start the show. 
Today, we have Jake Shorter on our show. I'm really excited about this because Jake, we rarely have an Australian on. And the other thing too is Jake and Phoebe have built a really great and solid team for their home staging business. I think they have a lot of advice and also great things to say and tips about hiring in general. So welcome to the show, Jake. Thanks, Cindy. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Yeah, so I'm really excited to have you on here. And so before we get started today, can you tell us a little bit about how you guys got started in the real estate and then also a little bit about your company? Sure. So as you mentioned, we're in Australia. We're actually in Brisbane, Australia. The business started in 2017. It's been nearly four years now. And Phoebe, my wife and I, the co-founders, Phoebe actually started the business four years ago. And she kind of did it with me in the background. And as we'll get into in a minute, I guess she built a bit of a team in those early in the first 12 months. And then I joined full time 12 months into the business. So I've been here nearly three years as well. How we kind of came into it was that in 2015, we actually did a subdivision and and designed a new house to be built on the new block of land that we created. And as part of that, Phoebe got really involved in picking all the fixtures and fittings and colors, paint, flooring, all of those things. She actually designed the whole interior and she really loved it. She didn't necessarily have a, you know, any training or qualifications, but she just really enjoyed it. She has a, you know, she's got a bit of a passion for that sort of thing. And my side of it is more a passion for real estate and, and real estate investing. But as part of that process, we got to the end and we sold the property. We actually used another home staging company here in Brisbane and it, it all went well. But it, what it did was plant the seed for Phoebe that maybe that was something she would want to do down the track or look into. And so fast forward a couple of years, Phoebe and I had our first baby and she was on maternity leave and she basically decided that she didn't really want to go back to her previous job and that it was almost a perfect time to, if if she was ever going to do it, to start a business like this, that was the perfect time. While I was still working, she had a bit of leave left so we could try it for a few months, six months. And if it didn't work, it didn't work and she would go back to her job. But she dove in and, and it worked better than we probably could have guessed and you know, here we are, like I said, 12 months later, I joined full time and, and now we've got a team and we've got a, I'm sitting in our kind of office, a lot of mess in the background, I'm sure you can see, but we've got a team, we've got a warehouse, we've got the logistics and the where, the furniture and everything here. And yeah, it's just been a, a bit of a whirlwind. That's really amazing. I think that's actually how most people got into staging probably because they found out one or the other through personal experience. And how was that experience for you when you guys had your house stage? Was it something really foreign to you in Australia at a time? Um, Definitely new to the Brisbane market. So here in Brisbane, we trail the major markets of Sydney and Melbourne by probably a, a couple of years in, the, in that sense. So it was known about and, and probably more accepted down in those states uh, and in those cities. Here, it was there was definitely some companies doing it and doing quite well, but it was definitely new enough that a lot of the agents still hadn't fully, not accepted it necessarily, but they didn't really know how to sell it to their the vendors or really get the proper value out of it. So we had a good experience largely. There was just a few things in that experience. And then also two years later when we started diving into it that we noticed that there were some things that we could do differently that would make it easier for the vendor or for an agent that were outside things like pricing. You know, it was things like, or to give you a very simple example, at the time there was no options for deferred payments. And I know that not everybody does that, but we just thought, you know, selling a home is quite an expensive thing to go through already, you know, with the marketing and other costs up front, maybe you have to replace carpets or painting or all those things. And every single without fail company in Brisbane said, no, you have to pay us a week in advance, you know, full stop, there was no options. And, and we kind of looked at that and said, well, why not? Why, why couldn't we provide an option where 
you know, it makes it just a little bit more accessible to people. And, and there's a few little examples like that, that through our experience staging with another company, and as I said, also kind of some research that told us, you know, there's a few small things we could do here to just differentiate ourselves and make the offering more accessible to some people that otherwise wouldn't have access to staging. So that's kind of where, where the business started. And that helped us grow quite quickly in that, that first kind of 12 months. And we've since kind of moved on from some of those things. But it, in the early stage, that really helped us kind of, you know, start those conversations with agents and introduce something that they hadn't seen before. Yeah, I think that is amazing. That's such a good point to make. Because I think really how a home staging company becomes a top producer is really about finding the pain of our clients and how to solve them really quickly. So I think it's really great that you guys can offer deferred payment. So how does that usually work for you guys? Do you guys work with like a financial institution, like a bank to offer that? Or no, no. So yeah, so we just do it in-house. We didn't want to go through the process of asking our clients to fill out application forms and wait for approval or any of those things. So we, we just said, look, we're going to take the risk on this. We would ask for a deposit. So it's kind of changing a little bit. But in the at the start, we just said we would ask for a 20% deposit upfront. And what that allowed us to do was firstly get their commitment, but also cover some of those, you know, maybe it's logistics costs. And then we said the rest of it, the other 80% was due 30 days later. So ideally, if the sales campaign went well, 30 days later, they've got a bit more certainty, they might have a contract in an ideal world, they're getting close to a, you know, an auction or a settlement sort of period. So it just helped them defer some of that payment. And I know when we've spoken to people, other staging companies about this in the past, like I said, it sounds risky. And, and I know that a lot of people think, well, what if I don't get paid? And to give you an idea, we've been doing this, as I said, nearly four years. We've only ever not been paid once. And we've done a lot of these sort of stage now, pay later type arrangements. So there's definitely risk involved. But in our experience, what it does is it opens up the home staging opportunity to more people. And that far outweighs the one that we haven't been paid. That's amazing. What are some of the things that you guys do to prevent people not paying, basically? I guess it's, you know, it's communication. Part of it is getting those terms and conditions understood up front and the payment terms. It's getting all of their details so that you can obviously follow up down the track. Because I know, at least in our experience, sometimes we deal a lot more with the agent as opposed to the, the vendor. So we don't want to be chasing payment through a third party, through an agent. So it's it's really about getting contact from the directly from a client. And as I just follow up, it's communication. You know, we kind of send a reminder in the days leading up to the final payment being due. And I guess the other thing is when I say that we haven't been paid once, there have been a probably up to 10 maybe times where we haven't been paid right on the 30 days. And those ones are, you know, the communication is even more important. And for us, it's about working with them and saying, look, if it's not now, maybe there's a small payment plan. Maybe we can get half now, half next week. Or, you know, it's just about working with them and, and being yeah. open to that. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily the only way to do it. But I think for us, at least, that seemed to work better than saying, no, pay now or we go to a debt collector. You know, it's it's more about working with them. And, and what we found, at least, is more often than not, it's not that they're not going to pay or that they're being difficult about it. It's just that they're not in a position to do it or or even, to be honest, we're just not a priority to them and they've forgotten, which isn't an excuse. But at the same time, we have to be understanding of that and say, okay, well, you know, it's no good me stamping my, hitting my fist on the table and that sort of thing. It's just communication. Yeah, no, it's true. And I also think it's important as a business owner, we focus on what's positive in our business instead of just purely on the negative, which it's yep. really easily to happen. But yeah, those are some of the things we have to pay attention. So what is the real estate market like for you guys now in Brisbane, Australia? So at the moment, it's very much a seller's market. There's a 
a little bit of a shortage of new houses coming to market, new listings. So I'm finding that agents are fighting a little bit, competing to try and win those listings. And the properties that we are staging, for the most part, well, you know, we're seeing properties being picked up after we just had one that we staged only two weeks ago being sold already because they got a cash unconditional offer. So not all of them, but obviously we're yeah, those sort of ones are ideal because you get your furniture out, you get a great result for your client and then it comes back and you get to use it again. So we're seeing a lot of fast sales and those that aren't selling are, are generally because they're being priced incorrectly or it's kind of an, an interesting situation actually where a lot of people, not a lot, but there are situations where somebody is putting a contract or an offer in for a property, but it's subject to them selling their own place or vice versa. They They will accept an offer, but they're saying only once I find a new place to move to. So there's, you know, it's a situation where it's easy to sell, but it's not always easy to buy. So there's being holdups on from a contract point of view on that end. But in general, it's a very much a seller's market. Yeah. I love that you really understand how real estate transaction works. And I think that does make a huge difference in operating the home staging business because then you really know what the moving pieces are and when to get in touch with the agent. Yeah. And I think that's part of the, not that Phoebe isn't this side of things, but in terms of the dynamic here for us, Phoebe's definitely on the staging or the styling side, the design side of things. And she loves that. She's great at that. I don't go anywhere near that side of things. I'm completely useless when it comes to, you know, choosing the the furniture and the accessories and colors and all that sort of thing. So I, you know, we've got our strengths and I stick to the other side, the things like logistics and marketing and, and finance. So we both have a real interest in real estate and, and I agree completely. I think that's a big benefit if not that it's necessarily you know, a requirement, but I think it's a big benefit in this industry. Yeah. So that's a perfect segue for my next question. So can you tell us a little bit about your team and how many people are on your team currently and what their roles are? Yeah. So at the moment, we've got Phoebe and I and then seven full-time staff. That is split into... We've got three stylists outside of... So three three stylists plus Phoebe who kind of oversees the whole styling team. We've got two in the logistics, so in the truck and in the warehouse. And then we've got two in marketing, which is probably the, the main one that people raise their eyes at because we're a small team and yet we've got two people full-time in our marketing team. And really, that's a commitment on our part Early on, you know, to name drop, I guess we we get a lot of our inspiration from marketing point of view from Gary Vaynerchuk and a lot of, you know, his kind of messaging around just put out your your process, show behind the scenes, kind of just be open and honest. And and part of that was very early. I wanted to commit to having somebody in house that could help me put out regular videos, regular Instagram, Facebook sort of content, and YouTube. And we tried doing it ourselves a little bit at the start, Phoebe and I, and and I'm sure everybody listening knows that. You can do it when you're not so busy, but as soon as you get busy, it's almost the first thing that drops away. So yeah, we made that commitment early on. So seven full-time people at the moment, and that is kind of ever-changing. And and probably if you ask me in a, in a few weeks, we'll have another one on board as well. That is amazing. I love you. Have a, you have two marketing staff full-time. That is really what every home staging business needs, in my opinion. Because marketing, like you said, is the first thing people drop once they get busy. And that's bound to happen with a one-person business. It's very difficult to juggle all the balls in the air. Definitely. And and I will say as well that we've seen direct impact from those marketing roles. I mean, we get agents approaching us and they specifically say, we, we've been watching on Instagram. We, we love the team dynamic and we love, like the, people come to you and feel like they have some sense of who you are and they know you to some degree. And, and you know, if somebody can come to us and we're not chasing them and they they already like the team and what we do, then you know you don't need to make the hard sell. You don't need to really go into that sort of sales pitch. You, you've already got them on board. So 
Um, like I said, a lot of our growth has come directly from the marketing side of things, the videos we put out, the articles, blogs, those sort of things. And, and we've heard that feedback directly from agents. No, I love that. And I love Gary Vee as well. I want to be Gary Vee of home staging, but with better hair. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I think that's amazing. And so can we dive in a little bit into your marketing as well? So it sounds like you do blogging, obviously you've done podcasting, and then you have a really big Instagram presence as well. So what's the process usually like for you guys to pull your marketing together? So it started based on the Gary Vee. You know, he's put out a few bits of advice around how he creates content and what he calls pillar pieces of content. So we have at least at the moment, we have two kind of pillar pieces of content. One is the podcast that we do. So I do a podcast weekly and it kind of comes and goes. I'm probably a little bit less structured, less than I would like to be, a little bit less organized. But we have that. And then we also have a YouTube video that we put out once a week and that's YouTube and IGTV. So our marketing team puts that together. So from those two bits of content, if, if we commit to that every week, we can then pull snippets out. So from the Foxy TV episodes on YouTube, for instance, we can write an article that goes along with it. We can pull out two or three, you know, one minute sort of snippets for Instagram and Facebook. We can put out posts and those articles that we write can go on our blog posts. They can also go on LinkedIn potentially. So it's all about, we have these two major pieces of content. And then from there, we use that to create all of our kind of micro or smaller pieces of content. And as you say, we, we try to be on most of the important platforms that we see impact from. We also dabble in some of the others. I mean, we've spent a little bit of time on TikTok and just learning. Not that we've necessarily had business results from that yet, but it's kind of about learning how to create that sort of content you know, for a different audience and just see what comes of it. So it's, it's all about learning, to be honest. Yeah. And also testing, experimenting and tracking your results. Yeah. And so what platforms are you seeing the highest return on investment from? At the moment, it would have to be Instagram and probably Facebook as well. But Instagram, we find, I'd have to recheck the numbers. But last I checked, we get about 75 to 80% of our work directly through agent referrals. So we work with regularly. And we found that they're all on Instagram. A lot of them are also on Facebook and, and even LinkedIn. We've kind of had a little bit of success there, but it's kind of a different beast and we're still figuring that one out. But Instagram, all of the agents are on there and, and they are constantly looking to see what others are doing in the industry. So they're looking at other agents, they're looking at their competitors, they're looking at the interesting accounts that they follow in real estate. And, and we like to try and be one of those accounts. So Instagram would have to be the main one. Yeah, I think so. Because it combines visual and video as well. And then everyone's on Instagram nowadays anyway, even if they're not actively commenting, they're still looking at everything. And I think the other thing that Instagram allows you to do with stories and with IGTV is you can have different types of content within the one platform. So our stories, for instance, is often, I mean, it's, it's all over the place in terms of the type of content. We'll have snippets from our YouTube video. We'll have behind the scenes, just, you know, camera up to your face and, you know, marketing team asking what's happening today. We'll have snippets from the podcast. It's, it's really random. And then you'll have IGTV, which is really dedicated to our weekly show, which is more produced it's a high quality production and then you have posts which are generally a little bit more polished as well some before and afters a lot more photos of the app and, and outcomes telling stories so within that one platform you can do a lot of different types of content yeah that's amazing so let's head back to the team building part so how do all your team members work together can you walk us through a little bit what is a typical home staging project like for you guys yeah, so Phoebe's obviously involved as the chief stylist right from the start. So she, her and one of the other senior stylists do the, all of our consultations and quoting, but Phoebe's involved in terms of actually sending out the quoting, communicating with the agent and the vendor. She's 
all over that. She's the one that kind of coordinates all of that. Once a job is actually confirmed, then the scheduling side of things, again, Phoebe basically owns the calendar and she'll make sure that everything is fitting together in terms of pack-ups, consultations, installs, all of those things. We assign a lead stylist. So of the three stylists that are in the team, depending on how much work we've got going on and, and what's coming up, that gets assigned to one of those. And then they're responsible for the selections of... With Phoebe, they'll do the, the furniture selections and then our stylists will be completely responsible for... We kind of call it the fluff, the, the accessories, the cushions, the colors, the artwork, you know, all that, all of that other stuff, all the smaller things that we kind of separated into truck furniture and fluff. So then that's not trying to be derogatory. That's just what we call it. And that's the way that Phoebe kind of talks to, to vendors about it. So the lead stylist takes control of that. On the day of the install, the, the lead stylist is completely in control and responsible and, and they'll go and actually do the install. And then obviously you've got the logistics team whose job it is to get everything onto the, the truck and get it into the, into the property. And because we're all, the logistics team is in-house, we don't have to worry about you know, hourly rates or anything and trying to get them in and out as fast as we can. We, we can do it in a way that if they need to stay behind and help the stylist a little bit more, you know, if they're testing different layouts because they're not 100% sure which way they want something to face and it's, you know, moving a buffet or a, a sofa or something, the team can stay behind and make sure that happens. And we try and also have two stylists on every job just because it makes things move a bit more efficiently, a bit faster. And to be honest, it's more fun. The guys don't want to spend hours alone in a house doing it. It's just more interesting when you've got somebody there with you. So, And then obviously the marketing team outside of that, deciding what properties, what content is worth going along and capturing and videoing. And yeah, they're, they're kind of in and out as they need to be. That is amazing. I love hearing your process. So I'm just curious, how many installs do you do per week? At the moment, we're aiming to do somewhere between eight and 10. We can do a couple more than that. We can do some of the lesser weeks. We'll try and fit more packups in. At the moment, we, you know, February was actually our biggest month we've done and we did an average of about between nine and 10 every week. So we're moving very fast when we're doing that with our team. The truck is probably the, the constraint, I guess. There's only so many kilometers it can travel in a day and, and you know, the guys can only move so much big furniture in and out. So that's kind of the next stage for us is looking at how we increase our capacity to be able to do more when we're ready to, to find that work. That is amazing though. I mean, nine to 10, that's really impressive. I mean, logistically for me, it's a nightmare. <laughs> Four day, all that. Yeah. And so how big are typically the house that you stage? So our average would probably be obviously the one one or two living in Queensland, in Brisbane here, it's you know, beautiful temperatures and, and weather. So there's a lot of outdoor. So almost every property has an outdoor space, a deck or a you know a patio or something like that. And then we'll do anywhere from generally the master and sometimes one of the bedrooms, sometimes up to five. You know, we don't always do the, the whole house. It really depends on the client and their budget and, and what we think we can get, you know, the biggest impact for the dollar. Because at the end of the day, it's all about return on the investment. So sometimes we'll just do the master and maybe one of the other rooms and other times we'll do all of them. But we never leave a living room empty and we never leave the outdoor empty if we can help it. I think that's really important. Those are really the biggest selling point in the house other than the master bedroom. So yeah, I think those are definitely safe, especially for the lifestyle in your area. Like the outdoor is a must because people celebrate those lifestyles. Absolutely. And, and I should say we always put, like I said, the fluff, the accessories and, and those sort of things in bathrooms, kitchens, you know, we will never not style a room with accessories if it needs it. And how long did it take for you and Phoebe to start hiring your first team member? 
Phoebe hired, as I said, I, I kind of came in full time. I was doing a lot of the bookkeeping and some of the other bits and pieces of marketing while I was in my previous job for the first 12 months. And that really gave us comfort because we had a, you know, my salary coming in to help us build our inventory. But Phoebe had hired her first styling assistant within three months of starting. The reason we did do it so quickly, I guess, is because we knew that in terms of the business we wanted to build, we wanted one that could support both Phoebe and I full time. And we would need a team around us to do that. Before we even did our first install, we knew that there was a point where we needed to hire people. So really, it was about taking some of the work off Phoebe's plate from a styling point of view. So training up somebody who could come and make the installs go faster, maybe you know do some of the selections for her so that she could do more of the meeting agents, making phone calls and actually building up the business. So yeah, it was, it was three months for the first stylist. And I think we had our second stylist alongside her probably only two months after that as well. So when you hire the stylist on, do they just do styling or they did other things as well, like packing, doing consultations, and also so, being assistant, like admin and stuff? Yeah, I think it, it has changed a little bit. When we first hired, Phoebe did train them to do the other stylists to do consults. We've since reverted back to only Phoebe and one other senior stylist doing those because we found that the agents we were doing work for really wanted a lower number of touch points in our business. They really liked being able to deal directly with Phoebe or with one other. They didn't want to be unsure about who was going to turn up. So yeah. that was just something that we we changed. But in the early stages, Phoebe did get those other stylists to do some consults. She trained them to do some of the packing and the the selections from uh, you know, accessories and cushions and linen and artwork point of view. And that hasn't changed. So the stylists now are also trained up to do all of that same sort of work because it's it's the sort of thing that Phoebe can train and kind of have a good overview of what's going on and and see and still have her fingers in it a little bit, like have a little bit of control over the output or the end look without needing to get into the detail and spending all that time actually doing herself. So she found that that was one of the easiest things to train and to to give responsibility to someone else. That's amazing. And it sounds like you guys had a really clear idea in terms of where you want your business to be. So that made the hiring decision much easier and also much quicker. Yeah, and I think that's important. I mean, it's part of the advice whenever I talk about building a team, it seems to be there is a bit of a fear of bringing people on and I completely understand that. But I think the first thing you need to do, which we definitely did at the start, was we just we knew what we wanted our business to look like. And part of that, if we knew we needed to build a team, was well, when can we get that team? When can we get that first team member in and what would they need to do to help free Phoebe up and eventually when I come in, free me up to do more of the building the business. So I think, yeah, knowing what you want out of your business and where you want it to be is probably the critical first step. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think it's interesting to hear that the first person you hire is a stylist. But I think for most one-person home staging businesses, we usually recommend either hire movers or hire an admin person to really free up and then really help you to concentrate on what you're really good at. But so it's really interesting to hear that for you guys on a team setting, the first person you hire is a stylist. I think it's the logistics side of things, the movers is an interesting one because I think, I don't, I don't know if it's maybe a bit different here in Australia, but it's actually quite uncommon for staging businesses to have their own logistics team in-house. It's very much an outsourced contractor sort of function. So when we started, that was definitely the case. For the first probably 12-ish months, we had a removal company or a, a transport company do all of that work for us. So that's probably the reason they weren't the first person to be hired. But we actually 
it's kind of a longer story, but basically the company that did the contracting for us decided he didn't want to be in business anymore. And we said, well, why don't you come and work for us? So we brought him in-house at that point. And he, he came obviously with the experience. He knew our business and, and fit our team culture. And he had a, had the truck that we were able to purchase as well. So it kind of, it was a perfect situation for us, which obviously was a big advantage. And we also recognized at that point, it almost fell in our lap. We probably wouldn't have hired that role at that time if if that hadn't have happened. But now looking back, I'm so glad that we did because the logistics, because it's something that isn't really in-house in Australian home staging industry, it gave us a lot of flexibility. And it's actually one of our biggest advantages now in terms of being able to move quickly, you know, make last minute changes, just be really flexible. It's one of those things that looking back, we got lucky. Yeah, no, I think that that sounds amazing. I wish I had that as well. I mean, it's moving really is such a tricky thing. I think in the early on of my home staging business, we rented trucks and we would move everything ourselves. And you're just so tired before you even got to staging. And so I think that is something that stagers should really free themselves up from is to really concentrate on what you're really good at. Like you said, really developing people's strength instead of focusing on how can we bring up the weakness, right? Because you have to spend more time in training, invest more time and manpower in that as well. So I think that is a very smart decision on just figuring out what everyone's strength is and let them do their thing. And also, like I said, it's about the strengths, but also having that idea of where you want your business to go. We knew that there was growth needed and that work wasn't necessarily going to come to us organically in the time period that we were kind of aiming at. You know, if we did a good job and we got word of mouth referrals, which we have, your business can grow. But we wanted to go out and, you know, introduce ourselves to more people and, you know, have more meetings with agents and show what we're, what our business is about and what we can offer. So to do that, Phoebe couldn't spend all of her time doing the selection process and doing the installs, the, the actual styling itself. You know, that that's obviously the most critical part of the business because it's the output and it's what people see and it's what gets your results. But it's also the sort of thing that can be trained and you can get assistance so that Phoebe didn't have to spend quite so much time on that so that she could do the the business development side of things. Yeah, it's really about freeing the owner up, right? To build the business, to really focus on the higher level. What are some of the things that really make this business grow instead of focusing on the nitty gritty, the everyday stuff? Exactly. And what is your typical hiring process like? It's kind of interesting because I don't know that we fit the normal mold of what people would, you know, some of the advice out there being that you should have a very thorough process. And, you know, I hear stories about not necessarily the home staging industry, but just from a recruitment point of view, these hiring processes that are, you know, seven stages, you have a first interview and then a group interview or a second interview, and then you have a test and then you have a something else. And we just don't really subscribe to that at all. Not that it can't work and you, you definitely can get people that way. But, you know, our number one priority in our team is team culture. So everything has to be through that lens, you know, the the person coming in has to be the right fit. So our process is all about finding the person that's the right fit. And the experience or the training is something that can be a bonus, but it's definitely not a requirement from our point of view. So whenever we go through a process, and obviously it depends on the, the role that we're recruiting for, but generally we'll advertise and we've had success both through recruitment platforms um, where you can actually post a job and also directly through our Instagram. And logistics is a is an interesting one, which I, I guess I'll touch on in a minute because that's a little bit different. But for the stylists and marketing, it's through those platforms. And then we'll get applications come through. From there, Phoebe and I will kind of go through them and, and decide who we'd like to meet. 
and interview. And again, it's not based on experience or necessarily what's on paper, but it's trying to get a feel for who they are, you know, how they communicate. Can they answer any of the questions that we've put on an application? So if they've actually taken the time to read what we're asking for, you know, little things like that, they're probably more important than what's in the resume itself or the application. It's do they understand what we're asking for and have they taken the time to respond properly? From there, we'll meet the person. If we get a good feeling, we'll try and do a trial because I think one thing that's, especially for the logistics side of things, but because we move quite quickly, we do a lot of work and we're in and out of properties. We want to make sure that the person coming in also gets a chance to see what they're signing up for and not just reading about a role description on a couple of paragraphs or half a page. We want them to come in and actually see the team, see what we do and and make sure that they're happy with what they would be getting into as well. So from there, from the trial, we generally are able to make a decision. For the logistics side of things, we've actually gone back. It's a good example of how important team culture is to us. So myself and the other guys that are currently in the logistics team, we're football or soccer players or we're kind of supporters of different football teams locally here. So it's something that we have common ground in and what we've found is that we can use that to find or at least start the search for the next person to make sure that we have common interests and it's also you know people that play football generally fit so it's a good way to start that search as well but we actually with the person we've just recently recruited we didn't actually put any application or any recruitment post on the normal platforms we went to a soccer channel and we put it up there just to see what would happen. And we ended up getting a couple of guys apply through that. And one of them has turned out to be a perfect fit. And it's just one of those things that, like I said, it, he doesn't necessarily have experience in removal work or in moving furniture, but he's a great team fit. He, you know, he's, he's ready to go. He's got a, the license. He's got some of the skills that we need and we can teach the rest. So yeah, our recruitment process is very maybe different than others. It's not, I wouldn't say it's thorough in the sense that we go through a lot of different stages, it's all about finding the right fit for the team. I think that is amazing though. I never thought about using football. Well, I don't play football. So I never thought of it as something of a recruitment tool, but it makes a lot of sense. Soccer or football is a team sport, right? So you have to be in that team mentality when you're playing on a group sport. And the other thing too is you already have a common ground. All of you guys play the same sport. That actually makes a lot of sense. And I totally yeah. agree with you. It's really about the team culture. People have to be able to fit in and they have to adapt as well. You know, it's the team mentality of working together and it's not about one person's show here. So if they cannot collaborate, they don't fit in that team culture, it's going to be really difficult. Definitely. I guess part of the advice, not, it's not advice, it's just something that we've found. And, and again, this is kind of a Gary Vee quote, hire fast, fire fast. And I kind of take it as meaning don't be afraid to hire somebody. You know, you're not, a lot of people may be hold off because they're looking to find the perfect person, the perfect fit. And I think that's such a difficult thing to do. You know, how can you possibly really get to know somebody, whether they'll fit your team and, you know, what their attitude towards work is in just an interview or two? You know, it's, it's one of those things that you're just never going to quite know. And I think that also comes back to the whole thought process around recruitment. I mean, yet, continually learning. Everybody's different. Every job or role that you are looking to recruit for will be different. So the process has to be different. So it's not one of those things you figure it out. And then from now on, we know how to hire. You know, we've had some success. We've had some people that didn't work out and you move on. So that hire fast, fire fast mentality to me is about don't be afraid to give somebody a chance. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And when it doesn't work out, make that decision quickly instead of letting it kind of drag on and 
and we've learned that the hard way a little bit as well and, and something that we're still trying to figure out. Yeah, I agree with that as well. It's the same process for us. We have a fairly long hiring process for that exact reason. We want to make sure that it's the right person coming in. And even after that, there's a trial period, right? You still have to see how they fit in within that position. And if they're not a good fit, that's really going to start showing up in their day-to-day job experience. So yeah, I fully agree with you, especially on fire fast. I also think that when the employee or your contractor, when they're working in your team, and they're not having a good experience, that negativity is going to spread to your team members as well. And a little bit like cancer, actually, you know, it starts very small, but it's very insidious. So you really have to cut it out very quickly. I agree completely because a lot of the time when you're in this situation, like so we've kind of gone through it with a couple of people that some of them more quickly than others, we realized, or one of them in particular, we realized reasonably early that it, it just wasn't quite the right fit for the team. And others took, you know, three, four, five, six months before we kind of got to that point. And often you're thinking about the person that potentially you need to part ways with. And, you you know, it's a difficult decision, obviously, and trying to get to that point, you know, we've agonized over a decision and justified why we needed to give somebody a, you know, a little bit more time, you know, we'll give them the feedback, we'll give them a little bit more time to see what happens. And then, you know, if a couple of weeks later, or a month later, it still isn't improving. And you, and you think, well, I'll just, you know, maybe just a little bit more feedback. And it's one of those things that we drew it out for ourselves and at the end of the day you realize at some point that they're not the right fit and often at that point when you have that conversation with them the other person already knows that as well at least that's what we found you know when we got to the point of having that conversation they were ready to go anyway so it's not that it's only on our side but going back to what you said about it's not only about that person and it's about the rest of the team often so thinking or holding off on that sort of decision letting somebody go who isn't fitting into the team because it's a difficult one or because of the impact it might have on them, you're not thinking about what it can do for the rest of the team. And as you say, for us, at least team culture being so important, the last thing I want to do is potentially damage that or have an impact on that because I haven't, as the owner, made the decision that this person is actually damaging and needs to be taken out of that team. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's really hard. It's really hard to let someone go. Absolutely, yeah. It's never a quick decision, but the thing is that there's so many things taking into consideration. As a business owner, your responsibility is to the business. So it's about the rest of the team. And so a lot of times is we have to make that decision very quickly, unfortunately. And like you said, most people actually already know when they're not a good fit. And I think you know as well in your gut that as an owner that you just feel something is off. It's not 100% clicking. Yep, I agree. And it's like I say, actually something that I heard that kind of stuck with me a little bit or I read somewhere was it's not the you know C or D players in a business that hold the business back. Because those sort of people, if you make a mistake in hiring and you have somebody like that in a team, they get found out. You know, they're not performing, they're not keeping up with you know their colleagues and, and it's quite clear when they're they're not quite working out. It's the B players. It's those that are doing enough to get by, they're mostly okay at their job they don't do anything that really warrants the thought process of, oh, I'm not sure, you know, I, I probably need to let this person go because they're not doing anything wrong. But they're the ones that hold the business back because, you know, they're, they're not A players. They're potentially dragging the rest of the team down just that little bit. So it's those sort of ones. And, and to give you one example, from our point of view, we had a stylist who was with us for probably a good six months and she was good at what she did. But it wasn't until we brought in another stylist who was just you know, next level and you start to realize, you know, there's these things that have been, you know, creeping into her work. She's not taking that learning process to the next level, wanting to, you know, the ambition or the initiative wasn't quite there. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't that she was bad at her job, 
but she obviously just didn't quite have the passion or the love to take it to that next level. And that wasn't evident until we had somebody else come in as well. So that was one of those ones that we agonized over for a long time and we'd give feedback and we'd wait and see and then we'd give feedback and wait and see. And eventually it got to the point where we we said, look, we need to make a decision because there's a business that's growing quite quickly. We need to make sure we have the right people. And it was a very, very difficult decision to make. We had the conversation and then she was ready to go. You know, like I said, it was one of those things she kind of had known for a while that it wasn't for her. And yet we held off for a couple of months because we were struggling to make that difficult decision. So that doesn't mean it'll be easier next time for us, but it's something that we're at least aware of that, you know, if somebody isn't quite performing and you don't feel like it's the right fit, it's probably the same on the other side. Yeah, I recently let a team member go and it's the same thing. And I also feel like it's a passion as well. You know, if you're passionate about your job, if you're giving feedback, if you love this job that you, you know, love to do, you would do your best to really improve upon it. But if the feedback falls flat or even is brushed off, as an owner, you know that this person is not really into it. Then it's a better way to just basically let them go to pursue greener pasture, really, that they can be better somewhere else than instead of being kind of mediocre or B player, like you said, on our team. Yeah. And, and that is a kind of difficult, like I say, difficult decision and yeah. difficult thought process because you don't want to do wrong by anybody. But at the end of the day, it is, you know, it's a business and you need to make sure that you're looking after the rest of the team as well. So I think that's kind of how we, we kind of think about it. Yeah. And how do you guys train your team members once they're hired? The vast majority of it is on the job training. We do have a formal training manual that we go through for our stylists and that's ever evolving it's something that we've kind of gone through with some of the most recent hire that kind of went okay and we've changed a few things and for our next stylist who starts they'll get the slightly updated version but for the most part at least in the first month in particular it is all about observing it's follow the other stylists be involved you know we'll get them to spend a day in the truck with the logistics team so that they can see you know, what's important from their point of view to keep things moving fast, how best can a stylist help the, the logistics team in terms of getting things ready for them and vice versa. We'll make sure that the logistics guys are aware of what they need to be doing to make sure the stylist role is, is easier or faster. So it's about observing, it's about constant feedback between the team. And from a logistics point of view, I was in the truck for a little while. I was part of the logistics team for about 18 months and I had to learn it all. I didn't have any experience. I learned it all. And by the time we got the new person in, I was proficient so I could pass on the things that I'd learned and I had a different way of teaching the one the person that taught me. So it's it's really about having the, the different team members, all the different people and their different experiences, all kind of giving their little bits and pieces of advice and kind of giving tips and things along the way. And, and everybody kind of figures it bits and pieces out in their own sort of way as well. Yeah, the training manual usually informs of what possible scenarios are going to be right on the job. But it is when you actually experience it, then you know how to deal with it. That's right. And and I guess from a styling point of view as well, I know that for the new stylist, Phoebe gets them to part of the first kind of probably two weeks is if you haven't already, go through Instagram, follow as many of these you know, other stages as you can, because a lot of what we do is finding inspiration for things. You know, you'll find a style that you relate to and that you'll want to bring into your own styling and Phoebe will then have feedback on how she wants things to get her kind of touch on it a little bit as well but it it is know what's out there know what options you have and know what you like yeah I think that is a really tricky part in terms of training stylists because Phoebe has a certain way of staging right and it's also the same company it needs to look like Foxy for every single job it can't look like oh Cindy did this job 
Phoebe did that job. Courtney did the other one. So there is sort of a consistency and also quality control that Phoebe has to make in those training to make sure that it's staying consistent throughout. Yeah, and it, it is a tricky one. I think that is actually one of the reasons that might hold a new staging business from hiring because they want to make sure it's their look. You know, no, a lot of people think nobody's going to do it as well as I do. And I don't know whether it's that they won't do it as well. It's that they won't do it the same. And we kind of accept that that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. So we definitely have a foxy look and Phoebe makes sure that as part of the training process, she educates or communicates that and she'll give feedback as she's going to make sure different things are happening. If something doesn't quite fit like a look or a feel that she herself would go for, then she makes changes and gives that feedback. But she also not only accepts, but she likes the fact that you're going to have other stylists have their own kind of spin on things as well. So, you know, our three stylists all have little things that Phoebe can tell you know, that's Cassie's look. Cassie likes doing it that way. Oh, Janessa will do it this way. She doesn't like this, she'll do it this way. And and as long as that kind of fits within the foxy look that Phoebe is is kind of looking after and going for, then then she's quite happy with that. That's amazing. So what is the foxy look? Oh, you're asking the wrong person. I'm not the design. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the stylist. I'm not allowed near that. Yeah, I, I don't know how I would even start to describe that, to be honest. That's so funny. We need to get Phoebe on the show, I think. <laughs> I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. Look, I think I'm going to have to get Phoebe to listen to this after and see how I did. But I think without going into the styling elements specifically, I think what we go for is a very relaxed, the way that we kind of talk about it is we don't want it to look staged. You know, there's there's little things that I can give as an example to show that we, we go for a look that people as they're walking through it, they won't stop straight away and go, oh, this is obviously staged. There will obviously be elements of that. But as one example, we stage every property with the TV. And I know that everybody does this differently, but every house that we stage, we put a, a prop TV in. And the alternative, which I know some some stages go for, is artwork where a TV might otherwise be because it might photograph one, you know, in a nicer way or it looks a little bit nicer. We go for the TV because we want to show people how they would live in a house. And it's about the experience walking in. And, and for us, that's just one little element of that. So... It's not a staged look. It's more of a lived in and showing people how they might live in a house. Yeah, no, I think that is a really interesting point of view because you do really need to show the buyers how they are going to live in the house. What is that aspirational lifestyle? So I think that is really important. And what would you say are some of the biggest lessons you've learned from your experience in hiring and building a team? I'm not sure if I have any one best piece of advice, but I guess some of the things that come to mind and I'm kind of rehashing what we've already spoken about, but the first one would be knowing your business, where you're at and your business ambitions, where you are hoping the business will go and, and what it will grow into. Because as I said, that kind of informs everything else. You know, you, we knew that we wanted to grow a team and a business that allowed me to finish my previous work and move into the business. And to do that, we needed to grow the number of installs we were doing, increase our profitability. So to do that, we needed more stylists. So that that was a very easy kind of path to take, at least in the in the early stage. So I think that's probably number one. It's also, I would say it's not something to be scared of. I know it is a it's a big decision, and I wouldn't kind of diminish that. It's a big cost on a business, especially a new business. If it's your first hire, you're taking this big overhead and adding it to your business when you're still not entirely sure where the next handful of jobs are going to come from. So it's not something to be kind of underestimated, but at the same time, I don't think it's something to be necessarily feared or held off just because of that. If you make a wrong decision, you can fix it. And I, you know, 
like I said, hire fast, fire fast. If things don't work out, you can always let people move on to their next thing and, and you try again. You know, I'd, I wouldn't be ashamed of making a wrong decision and that sort of thing from a hiring point of view. It's obviously something you'd like to get right. I don't think there's anybody probably out there that would say they've gotten 100% of their hires right. So just accept that it's going to, you know, you, it's going to happen where you need to part ways with people and, and don't be afraid of that. And then the last bit probably that I, I thought was worth mentioning, I can't remember exactly where I heard this from, but it, I've found it to be quite true. And that is hire somebody before you need them. Don't wait until the moment where you say, I'm overworked, I need a styling assistant. Because at that point, you're so busy, you're not going to have time to do justice in your recruitment process. You know, you're not going to have time to properly interview or read applications and find the right person. You're not going to have time to train them properly because you're so busy. So going back to that first point, if you know where your business or where you'd like your business to go, you know you're going to need somebody, try and at least start the process a little bit before you get to that tipping point where you just can't, you don't have the time to do it properly. So like I said, we, we've just actually hired somebody, another stylist, you know, kind of junior role, knowing that we don't necessarily need them right now, but there's a point coming quite soon when we will. So we're getting that process started now so that we can start the training. We can kind of get them ingrained in the team now so that by the time we actually need them, they're already there and it's kind of a fluid process. No, I love that. It's, it's kind of like going to grocery store when you're hungry, right? You want to buy everything. <laughs> everything looks sure. good. And that's the thing. But most of my biggest hiring mistakes usually happen when... You know, I was really busy. I just need somebody who can move and have a set of hands to help me. And that's usually when you have the most mistakes. You're not 100% clear in terms of what you need in your home staging business. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you're already at that point, it's not that it's too late. Obviously, if you need to hire somebody, you go and you figure it out. And hopefully, you've got time to be a little bit patient in that process and find somebody who suits what you need in the role. But going forward, that's kind of the advice that we've taken on board ourselves in our businesses just try and be as prepared as we can. So look ahead to where we're going to be. We know that in Australia, spring is our kind of busiest period, which for us is you know, September, October. So sitting here right now, if I know what how busy we are right now, I know that there's a next level coming in spring, You know, all else being equal and no COVID issues or anything else. But if I know that's going to happen, then it would be a very bad decision to wait until August or you know, September to start looking at, oh, well, how are we going to deal with this increased work? I need to think about that beforehand. Yeah, they also need to be trained as well. So they need to be brought on much earlier than when you actually need them. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And we really talked about hiring today. We didn't really talk about management, but I feel like hiring is only the beginning. It's really once they get into the team, that's really when the work happens. So how do you deal with multiple, you know, different personalities in a fast paced or often high stress environment as well? How do you manage your team? It's look, I will start by saying it's not something we always have gotten right and we're still learning. And I don't think you ever like it. Same with recruiting. I don't think you ever get to the point where you say, okay, I've got this figured out. For us, there's probably a couple of things that if we do them right, it makes the whole management process easier. The first one is team culture. So by focusing on that in our hiring process and making sure that those that are new and being added to the team will add to the dynamic to the culture you know it basically what it does is well, what we aim to do is create an environment that when people come to work they love being here they enjoy the job people are laughing and joking with each other and 
we're also, you know, we're hiring people who are good at their jobs. So it's one of those environments, ideally, where everybody loves what they do, but they're also really great at what they do. So by having that environment, hopefully we can avoid some of the mistakes that you might or some of the issues that might raise their head in a business that doesn't have that. That's probably more of a preventative thing, hopefully, than anything else. But the main thing, and this is going to be a little bit almost cliche or obvious, but I think it's just communication. You know, it's making sure that people are aware of what you're asking from them, what you're expecting. It's making sure that you're listening to what they need in terms of, you know, resources or training or or anything else, you know, what's important to each of your, your team members because it's not the same for everybody. Some people might want to focus more on, you know, they, they want a higher salary. They, they're more about getting rewarded from a monetary point of view. Others might just want more work-life balance because they're They've got a young family or they're getting married or they like to travel. So we, you know, we, we try and have a bit more of an idea about each of our team members individually and what we can potentially do to make sure that they're getting what they want out of the work. But at the end of the day, you know, if things do go wrong, it's about communication. And again, I'm not always great at this and, I, and it's something that I keep trying to remind myself and we're, we're always learning. But you know, we need to make sure that when there are issues, we're talking openly about them and trying to resolve them. Easier said than done, but I think that's that's a crucial element. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So we're coming up on the top of an hour. So what is your number one tip you'll give to home stagers when it comes to building their home staging team? I think it's probably a combination of a few of the answers I've given, but I would probably summarize it or bring it back to don't be afraid of the process of hiring somebody. That's not to say that everybody needs to go and hire right now, but it's to say, don't let the fear of bringing somebody on be the thing that stops you even you know, thinking about it or planning it. It is one of those things that fear often is the thing that holds people back from hiring somebody more than anything else. And like I said, it's things like you've got a big fixed overhead that you're bringing into a business or you're potentially bringing somebody in that doesn't do the job that you want or as well as you'd like them to do or doesn't fit the rest of the team. Or yeah, There's a lot of things that can go wrong. But I think the fear of those things often as you know, if that's the reason that you're not hiring somebody, I think that's the wrong way to go about it because almost all of those other issues can potentially be fixed. Not even potentially, they can be fixed. You can deal with them. You can rectify those sort of things. So I don't think they're, they're reasons to stop if that's what your business needs. Yeah, I think a lot of skills can be trainable. It's the, the attitude that's the most important, right? The team, kind of the mentality, the culture and the attitude, those are not trainable, unfortunately. So those comes down to the skill set. For me personally, when I'm looking at hiring, is that what are some of the things that we can train? What are some of the things that we definitely cannot and cannot overcome? And, and those things that you mentioned, things like attitude, you know, initiative, passion, those things that you can't necessarily train, you also don't always get a good feel for whether they've got those things in an interview. You can sometimes get the feeling, but it's not always easy to see those things when you're just talking to somebody for the first time and they're trying to show their best version of themselves. So don't expect that you're going to get it right every time. Exactly. Thank you so much, Jay, for being on the show today. No problem, Cindy. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging. Happy staging.